this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of the book of Hebrews has been concerned with these new Jewish converts. His main concern for them was that they understand fully all that they have in the person and the work of the person of the Lord Jesus. They needed to understand all they had received when they received Jesus as Savior. He's more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. These Jews had an old religious system that had been deeply ingrained into their heart and life from since they were just youngsters, Judaism. And these Jews were religious experts. I mean, they, they had religion down to the teeth. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus said of himself that, uh, uh, that these Jews, these Jewish experts, they received him not. They knew so much about religion, but didn't know anything about Jesus. Love you know so much about religion and not know a thing about Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews is concerned that they know that Jesus is more than just some religious figure. They have moved now from the realm of religion to the realm of relationship. A relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now these Jews in particular, they confess their faith to Jesus. They need to understand now all that Jesus has and is continually accomplishing for them. And what they're going to learn is that Jesus Christ is far better than anything in their old system of religion. Can I get a witness today? Jesus is better than our religion. It just doesn't get any better than Jesus. Now this morning we come to this, uh, to this lofty truth of the priesthood of Jesus. The priesthood of Jesus. And really that's going to be the subject for the great remainder of the rest of this blessed book of your Bible. This morning I'm preaching on this subject, Jesus, our great high priest. That's, uh, that's the theme of these verses. The Hebrew people, they understood the holiness of God. Uh, they would dare not try to enter into God's presence as sinners. They, they understood what would happen. Uh, they knew that God's wrath would suddenly and violently, without remedy, fall on sin and the sinner. They understood that about God. That's why in the oldest book of your Bible, the book of Job, Job said, neither is there a daysman betwixt us. Job longed for a mediator between God and man. And now the writer of Hebrews comes to tell us that that mediator has come. He has come. He has put the old religious system out of business. He did everything the Father demanded for us to be saved. Not only has He offered Himself as our sacrifice to save us, but after that, He, he has also entered into heaven as our great high priest in order to keep us saved. And until a Christian fully understands the priestly work of Jesus, the Christian, until they understand that, they'll never fully appreciate nor appropriate the blessedness of being saved. And so the emphasis in these verses, these three verses this morning, is on what we as believers have 
in Jesus, our great high priest. He is interceding for us continually in heaven today. Now, the Jews, they had seen other priests. The term priest was nothing new to them. But this priest is different. He comes from a different root. He's not from uh, the tribe of Levi. This priest is out of the tribe of Judah. He is after the order later, we'll learn, of Melchizedek. He comes from a different root, and he operates and ministers in a different realm. He is Jesus, our great high priest. And the writer of Hebrews is going to teach us some things in these three verses about the priestly work of Jesus. Notice verse 14 with me. In, in verse 14, we see, first of all, the superiority the superiority of our great high priest. Now, twice already in the book of Hebrews, the writer has already used the words high priest. But now we're going to see what he's been getting at. All the times before that he's talked about a high priest, he's, he's been getting us ready for what is the great objective of this entire book of Hebrews. The great objective is to expound the priesthood of Jesus and show us what He not only accomplished for us at the cross, but what He has and is now accomplishing for us in heaven today. He begins in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. I like the word have. He says we have. You might underline that in your Bible. We have a great high priest. What he's saying is that Jesus is completely yours. Uh, the way this passage of Scripture is going to challenge us from this point forward is that we ought to live like we have a great high priest. We ought to live that way. Several things that make his priesthood superior. First of all, he is superior because of his nearness. You see what verse 14 says? Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Look at the next part. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus has passed into the heavens. He, he died on the cross, but He didn't just die on the cross. He rose from the dead. But on Easter, He didn't just rise from the dead. He walked on the earth for another 40 days, and He ascended back to heaven. He ascended all the way back. He ascended past that first heaven, the sky that we see outside. He ascended past that second heaven, outer space that you can look into with a telescope. He ascended up to what Paul called that third heaven, his heavenly home, the heaven of all heavens. And today he is seated near to the Father at his right hand. In Hebrews 10, verse 12, speaking of Jesus, the writer says, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. When Jesus finished the work the Father gave him to do, he has now gone into the various holy of holies in heaven. He has gone there with the sacrifice of his own blood. And Hebrews 9 and 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves. You see, that's what the Jewish priests would go in there with year after year after year, the blood of goats and calves and animals. But it says in verse 12, But by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ did for those Hebrews and for us what no earthly high priest could do. In the Old Testament, when, when the high priest would make a sacrifice for sin, he would take the blood of that sacrifice and one day a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would take that blood and he would go into the Holy of Holies, where that Ark of the Covenant sat. He would go in there and he would sprinkle that blood out on the mercy seat, and then, quickly, he would get out of there. 
and he would not be allowed back into that spot for an entire year later. He would come back there the next year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he would do it all over again, and quickly he would get back out of there. He was not permitted to stay. He had to wait a year before he could re-enter. It had to be done over and over and over and over and over again. In other words, he never got his job done. In fact, there were no chairs in the Holy of Holies because the, the high priest on earth never got finished with a job and got to sit out. He was limited. But today, beloved, we've got a high priest who has passed through the heavens. He has sat down. He is in the very throne room of God this morning, and his nearness to the Father makes him a superior high priest. Listen, he died down here to get me saved, but he lives up there to keep me saved, doing the priestly work. I want you to notice he's superior not only in his nearness, but he's superior in his name. The Hebrews, they knew the names of all the high priests. Church, who was the first high priest of Israel? Anybody? <laughs> We're going to have a Sunday school lesson right here. I'll give you, a, give you a clue. His brother was Charlton Heston. <laughs> Moses and Aaron. 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 So y'all knew Charlton Heston. You didn't know Sunday school. Shame on y'all. <laughs> Aaron. Well, y'all didn't know who the first high priest was, but the Jews did. They knew who the first high priest was. They, they knew all the names of those high priests. You remember, I mean, it tells us all through there, the names of all those high priests of Israel. It was important to know who the high priest's name was. I mean, when you needed to get to God, he was the only guy that could get to God for you. But now we have a better priest. We have a great high priest. His name is like no other name. Verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, there's his nearness, and here's his name. Jesus, the Son of God. No wonder he's described as being great. He's called great because of who he is. Uh, you say, we got a we got a great high priest. Well, how do I know he's great? Well, let me tell you who he is. He's Jesus. Oh, yeah, sure, he's great. Jesus, the Son of God. And that name, Son of God, in that name there, we're given two titles. Do you see that? First of all, we're given the title of Jesus. The title of Jesus speaks of his humanity. That's his human name, Jesus. You didn't see that name in the Old Testament. You saw that name when he became a man. He shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus speaks of his human title. But then you've got Son of God. There's his divine title. Jesus, human, Son of God. Divine. And in that little title right there, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, he's a superior high priest. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Eli. He's better than all those high priests through the Old Testament. Because this, this priest, he's got two natures. I can see y'all, your bucket's not filling up yet. He's got two natures. Let me tell you what that does for my soul. Now, now, I've already studied this, and I'm shouting on the inside already. I, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. His humanity, Jesus, that title, His humanity lets me know that He understands my every need. And His divinity lets me know that He's God enough to do something about every need. So, so that title, listen, the name Jesus shows me His awareness. The title Son of God shows us His ability. You know, some people, when they think of Jesus, they, they think of Je Jesus as some far-removed figure lived thousands of years ago. 
Today he's alive, but he's more than a million miles away from here. We've never seen him in literal lives. We don't recognize that Jesus actually took on human flesh. But don't ever lose sight of the fact, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, though he's 100% God, he's also 100% man. Listen, there is a man sitting on the throne in heaven today. A man, the God-man, the great high priest. And at the end of verse 14, we have the application of that truth. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. That's his nearness. Jesus is the Son of God. That's his name. Here's the application. Let us hold fast our profession. And here's another one of those places in Hebrews where we need to pay real close attention. Some people get the impression right there that when he says, let us hold fast our profession, that he's talking about holding on to your salvation. Listen, brothers, sisters, if you could hold on to your salvation, you wouldn't need a great high priest. You understand that? Uh, he didn't say that at all. You don't hold on to Jesus. You say, oh, but I heard the song somewhere that I'll keep holding on to Jesus. Well, that's just a song, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, if you held on to Him, you'd only be saved as long as your grip was strong. I don't know about you, I'd have been a donor a long time ago if it were up to me holding on to Jesus. I'm not saved because I'm holding on to Him. Honey, I'm saved because He's holding on to me. You say, well, I don't believe that, preacher. I had a discussion not long ago with somebody said, well, I believe you can lose your salvation. Listen, you don't have to take my word for it on the subject. Just listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 28. Jesus said, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them from my hand. Listen, his hand, here's another old song that we love that ain't right. His hand's not in mine. Mine's in his. You, you understand today? Yeah, my hand is in, in fact, my whole being is in his hand. What hand? The same hand that created the blessed universe. I don't stay safe because I'm holding on to Jesus. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5 says, I am kept by the power of God. Let me get back to verse 14. Okay. Let us hold fast our profession. Well, what's he talking about? If he's not talking about salvation, what's he talking about? He's talking about your testimony, your profession, your profession, what you're, what you're saying here, what you're con confessing. He's saying here, because you have a great high priest, don't go disgrace him by the way you live. Uh, don't, don't, don't disgrace him. Live for him. Serve him. Honor him. Do exactly what you told him you would do the day he saved you. Live for Jesus. The writer of Hebrews view persecution was going to come. Testings are going to come. Trials are going to come. But he's telling them, don't quit. Don't quit. Hold on to your profession. How? By your faith in your great high priest. And to those Hebrews, those Jews had learned through the years to trust an earthly high priest. He said, now, trust your heavenly high priest. Trust your great high priest. He is superior. Number one. Number two, he shows us the sympathy of our great high priest. The sympathy of our great high priest. Now, we've already been reminded of his humanity in that title, Jesus. Now, he's going to expand on that in verse 15. He says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, this is an interesting verse because he uses the negative right here to emphasize the point. You've got to keep in mind here that the writer of Hebrews is talking to a bunch of Jews that had come out of Judaism. They had their earthly high priest. They knew about high priests, but those high priests had limitations. 
He's saying now you've got a superior high priest. Now you've got a great high priest. You don't need an earthly high priest anymore. By the way, do you find it a coincidence? It's certainly not a coincidence that after Jesus left planet Earth, shortly after that in A.D. 70, the temple got destroyed and they haven't had a priest back over there since then. Why? They don't need one. They don't need one. They, 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 they were sent their great high priest. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we don't need an earthly priest either. There's people right down the road here today going into some little box with a confessional, talking to a guy that cannot sympathize with them as the great high priest. He is not seated at the right hand of the Father. He does not have a superior title. And that man cannot forgive your sins. But there is a better high priest. There is a great high priest who can and does sympathize with us. Notice in verse 15 we see his pity for us. His pity. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. The word touch there is the Greek word sympatheo. It's where we get our word sympathy. Sympathy. Uh, if you read this verse in the positive and not the negative, what he's saying is Jesus, our great high priest, sympathizes with us. He sympathizes. He is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Infirmities there, generally speaking, means, means our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. Whatever your weakness is. You see, the only way he could be touched by the feelings of my infirmities, was he had to come down here. He had to come down here. I don't have infirmities over there. He had to come down here to experience those things. And now because he became a man, he understands every trial because he went through trials. He understands every suffering because he went through suffering. He understands every danger because he went through danger. He understands my weakness, and in his understanding of me, he pities me. He pities me. And these Hebrews, these Jews, they knew that God was all-powerful. Well, you didn't have to convince them of that. They feared Him. But they knew that He was holy. They knew He was all-knowing. That they knew that God was just. But what they did not understand about God, He's sympathetic. He's sympathetic. He, he, was, he was distant in their minds. He was at God far off in the distance. They did not understand that that the Lord could identify with every struggle, every heartache, every pain we experience in this life. There's a lot of Christians today that don't understand that God experiences, He has experienced and He understands, He identifies with every heartache, every struggle, every pain, every infirmity, every weakness in your life. I know who this is for this morning, but I, I want you to know whatever you're going through at this very moment in your life, Jesus Christ understands it. He understands it. And he pities your circumstance. Why? Because he's lived it. He's lived it. Notice in verse 15, further in this verse, we see his sympathy, not, not just because of his pity, but we see him sympathize because of his perfection. His perfection. Look at the end of verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now we're talking about the perfection of Christ. He never, in all of his life, sinned. And that's what makes him our great high priest. But listen, those earthly high priests were not sinless. Aaron was not sinless. Eli was not sin sinless. Uh, those earthly priests today, those guys wearing little white collars around their neck, those guys aren't sinless either. Over there in Rome with the Vatican, the Pope, he's not sinless either. I got bad news for you. This is going to shock some of y'all. I ain't sinless. 
Do you know in Leviticus 16, those uh, Jewish priests, Leviticus 16 says before they could ever offer a sacrifice for the people, they had to go offer a sacrifice for themselves. But did you notice in the Gospels, not one time, you know, Jesus did everything to follow the law. He didn't break one point of the law. Law says that you got to sacrifice for sin. Do you notice one, not one single time, did you ever see Jesus go to the temple and make a sacrifice? I mean, he did everything else. He got baptized. I mean, he did everything. He went to synagogue. He went to all. He did all those things in keeping with the law. But he never one time made a sacrifice. Why? Sacrifice wasn't required for him. He made no sacrifice because he needed no sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason I'm not going to some guy in a little confessional box today to ask him to forgive my sins is because he's got to deal first with his own sins. But my great high priest doesn't. You see, the only reason Jesus, only Jesus can forgive my sin because he has no sin. Verse 15 says he proved that. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. All points. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, yet he never sinned. He never wavered one single time. And listen, you think you've been tempted? I, I want to tell you, the devil threw everything he had at Jesus to try to get him to sin. But did you know that the temptation of Christ was not, did not happen to see whether Jesus would sin? That's not the purpose of the temptation of Christ at all. The purpose of the temptation of Christ was to show us his impeccability that he could not sin. He absolutely could not sin. He is the only perfect man to ever live. He's the impeccable Christ. You say, well, okay, I get that. How then does his perfection make him sympathize with me? Well, it's just like this. Because he was sinless, he's all the more sensitive to sin. He's all the more sensitive to it because... He never had it. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, uh, his, the night of his arrest, and he prayed until his sweat became his great drops of blood, and he said, Father, let this cup pass from you. You don't think that he was asking God to take the cross away, do you? No. No, listen, Hebrews 12, 2 says he went gladly to that cross for you for the joy that was set before him. Why did he pray, let this cup pass from me? He was sensitive to sin. What he didn't like about the whole matter of the cross was that on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't want that to happen. And the only way I can understand, and this is a horrible illustration, it's as close as I can get. Every Sunday, most Sunday, with exception today, I put on a white shirt to get ready to come to church. And I do everything I can all day on Sundays, especially at lunch, to keep from getting something on that white shirt. But I've got so many stained up white shirts. The only reason I don't throw them away is because you can't see the parts that are stained. Okay? You ever had a brand new white shirt, brand new white tennis shoes, and you try to keep them clean and they get dirty? And you just kind of get you in the gut. Now, that's as close as I can get as a human to illustrating that. Imagine now a sinless, righteous, holy, perfect, impeccable Son of God, white in His purity at the cross, having the filth and the mire and the wretchedness and the sin of the entire world for all of time placed upon Him. Jesus is, was, and always will be the perfect man. But understand this, friend. When the Father looked down from heaven at the cross at Calvary, 
The Father did not see a perfect son hanging there. He saw me. He saw the filth of my sin. He saw the filth of your sin. It's not that he committed sin. He didn't. He became sin. He became sin. And so for six long hours on the cross, though he never sinned, he became sin. And he, he suffered in his body the punishment for that sin. That's why his death on the cross was so horrific. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, look at Calvary. That's what God thinks about sin. And that's why, beloved, I want you to know today, more than any person in the, in the known or unknown universe, Jesus Christ, more than anybody, wants you to be saved. Why? Because Jesus sympathizes with the punishment that you're going to go through one day. He understands what the wrath of God will be like. And He sympathizes. He does not want you to go through that. So He wants you to be saved. And Christian, once you're saved, when you get tempted, He knows the pressure that Satan can put on you. He had that pressure put on him. His humanity was even weakened. When he came off the mountain of temptation, the Bible says angels came and ministered to him. He understands the power of sin, but when he died on that cross and defeated and conquered sin, he took the power of sin away for the child of God. Preacher, you telling me if I get saved that sin loses its power over my life? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You say, well, how in the world? Well, listen, it's just like this. If you've been saved, you don't have to sin. You say, but I do. Yeah, but you don't have to. You say, oh, but I do. But you don't have to. Oh, Maud, you remember Maud on TV? About years ago, any of y'all old enough to remember Maud? Maud used to say, the devil made me do it. Quit, quit that garbage. You do it because you want to do it. That's why we sin. We sin because we want to sin. But we don't have to sin. Christ has given us the power to walk away when the tempter comes. He's given you and I the same thing that he combated with the devil with, the sword of the Word of God. And when we wield that sword, the tempter has to flee. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 and 18. But really verse 18 says, He Himself has suffered being tempted because of that. He is able to suffer them that are tempted. That word suffer means He will come running to you like a mama will come running to her baby when she's crying to aid you. If you'll let Him, when the devil comes knocking, he, he'll, if you'll let Him, He'll answer the door for you. Imagine the devil having the door open and go, oh, no, not you again. He sympathizes with you over your sin because of his perfection. He hates what sin does to your life. He is the sympathetic Savior, our sympathetic high priest. But notice now in verse 16, we come to the end of the chapter. And in this last verse, we see the supply of our great high priest. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, because Jesus has gone back to heaven, and because Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, now He is my mediator. He is my intercessor. And the writer of Hebrews says, Now I can come boldly, Unto the throne of grace. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking now about being in the very presence of God. We're talking about getting to His throne. Have you thought about His throne lately? His throne is the operation center for, for this universe and every other universe that's out there. It's the control hub for all of that. 
And he says, now I can come boldly under the throne of grace. How do you get there? I can bow my head. We've already been to his throne this morning. I can bow my head in prayer. I can go to heaven's holy of holies. I don't have to get there and act like I don't uh, belong there. You ever go somewhere and you feel out of place? Listen, you don't have to feel out of place at the throne of God. You can walk right into that throne, not with pride, not with arrogance. You don't strut into that throne, but you can come boldly under that throne because there was a blood sacrifice made that allowed you to get to that throne. Now you can take your need before the great high priest, the creator of the universe, and he's got enough supply to meet your every need. This verse shows us that. Notice in verse 16, our great high priest has supply, number one, for our present situation. Now right here, you can fill in the blank with whatever your present situation is. Just write it in right there. Whatever it is, God's got supply for it. Let me show you where that supply is. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne, watch this, of grace. His throne is a throne of grace. God has grace in abundant supply today. If you've got a problem, He's got grace. If you've got a need, He's got grace. If you've got a burden, He's got grace. If you're in trouble, He's got grace. The old song writer said, Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell Him all about our troubles. Why? Because He's got grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Grace for you, grace for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God's got grace for the present situation. Now listen to me, the very same throne of God that used to be a throne of judgment, now because I have a high priest there, it's a throne of grace. Hallelujah. I don't know what your present situation is. I don't have to, but I'm telling you this. He's, he's, got a, he's got a supply of grace for it. Your present situation. Look at the rest of that verse. He's got supply not only for the present situation, but he's got supply for our past sins. Our past sins. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Mercy. What we need for our past, ladies and gentlemen, is mercy. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But we sure need it, don't we, Brother Phil? We need God's mercy. I want to tell you, beloved, God's not laughing at sin the way the world, the way Hollywood, the way television, the way you know, your friends are laughing at sin. God takes sin seriously because every sinner that does not come to faith in Christ will suffer for their sins in a place called hell. But the good news of the gospel today is you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to suffer for your past sins. God's got a full supply of mercy. Now watch how this mercy became available to you. Your sins need a sacrifice. They need a blood atonement for them. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. A blood payment's demanded. The account has to be settled. Blood's the only way it can be settled. Now, the blood of those animals over there in your Old Testament, that blood never settled the account. It sort of just paid the interest. That's all it really did. It never got the thing paid off. It just kind of kept the full payment from being collected on. It just paid the interest year by year by year. It really, what the Old Testament did, all it accomplished, it delayed the wrath of God until Jesus got here. 
That's all it did. Then Jesus left heaven. He came down to this earth. And when John the Baptist saw him walking down to the river of Jordan, John looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. God's Lamb, the Lord Jesus, gave his life on Calvary. He shed the blood that was needed to cover my debt. That happened at the cross. Now that his blood has been shed, in Jerusalem, another sacrifice has been made. Now all that needs to happen is we got to somehow get that blood from Jerusalem to the throne of God. So up from the red grave, he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Now, you see, the high priest would take the blood into the Holy of Holies. But, but we got to get this blood to heaven's Holy of Holies. And not just any high priest can do that. You're going to need a great high priest to get it from earth back to heaven. Enter Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you get the picture today? We've got a great high priest. He's taken his blood back to heaven. He's paid the price for me. Without the blood payment being made in heaven for my sin, the worst thing that could ever happen to me would be to meet God with no payment made. But now, all that's been taken care of. I can go boldly into the throne room, and I can find grace. I can obtain mercy. I can find grace to help in time of need. And the reason? Jesus, our great high priest. Remember, back there in the Old Testament, there's a little book called the Book of Esther. Esther was queen of Persia. She, she was a Jew. And Esther had learned of a plot to exterminate all the Jews. A wicked man named Haman wanted to see all the Jews killed. Esther had learned about that. Now, that was one that could stop that from happening. And he was the king. But there was a problem. You see, you couldn't, even if you were the queen, you couldn't just walk in there and talk to the king. You can't just get right in there and talk to the king. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get in today probably to see the governor of Georgia, much less the president of the United States. You couldn't just say, well, i got to need, I'm going to walk right in there. You'd get stopped a hundred times. But it was even more serious back in that day. If you tried to walk right, I bet it happened today. I bet if you tried without invitation to walk in the Oval Office, I bet you'd get shot before you got there. I bet it would happen. I, I'm telling you... I wouldn't try. And in this day, Esther knew, I can't just walk right in there and tell the king about this because I don't have an audience with the king. There was only one exception. The king next to his throne there had a golden scepter. And you could walk into his presence if you wanted to try it, if you wanted to risk it. 
And unless he extended that golden scepter, if he extended that scepter out to you, that was your invitation to keep walking. Come on to the throne. But if that scepter stayed in its spot, you wouldn't make it to the throne. Somebody would get you, take you out, you'd be killed. Do you know that in your Old Testament? It's in the book of Esther. You can read all about it. Esther knew, this is a life or death situation. I've got to go talk to the king. I may die, but I've got to at least get in there, and before they kill me, I've got to yell, stop hanging. So she takes her chance. And she walks to the king's throne, and the king reached over there, and he pulled out the scepter, and he extended it her way, and she came in there, and she told him what was happening, and all the Jews were saved. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for me on Calvary's cross, and because my great high priest took that blood and went back to heaven's mercy seat and poured it over the record of my sin, today when I come to the throne of God, the Lord Jesus extends the golden scepter of His mercy. I don't worry about going there dying in His presence. I can walk in there boldly and say, I don't worry about my sin and the penalty of it anymore. That was taken care of a long time ago. He's got mercy for my sins. And listen, you don't know what my sins are, and it ain't none of your business what my sins are. It ain't my business what your sins are. I don't know what you've done, but I'm telling you this, whatever it is, God's got enough mercy for it. He's got enough mercy. But I pity the man or the woman that tries to face God on Judgment Day without the blood of Jesus. There's no mercy for that soul. Why? Because now's the time to get the mercy. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We've got mercy for you. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.